You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, Paul here, and just a quick message from me to let you know that if you are looking to improve the performance of your team, no matter whether it is a work, sporting, or community one, then we've developed some tools to help. On the website, you will find our Thriving Teams Diagnostic, which uses insights from the more than 200 great coaches we have interviewed to challenge you with a series of questions to help you understand how your team is performing. It's free and only takes a few minutes to complete. If you'd like to know more, you can check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Norma Plummer. Norma played netball for Australia and was part of the 1975 team that won the World Netball Championships. In 1996, she coached the Melbourne Pumas to win the inaugural Super League Grand Final and Victorian Open Championship. In 2003, she was appointed coach of the Australian team, leading them to 67 victories from 89 test matches, including winning the 2007 and 2011 Netball World Championships. In 2015, she took on the job as head coach of South Africa and retired in 2019, having taken them from a world ranking of 8th to 4th. In 2013, Norma was awarded a member of the Order of Australia for her services to the sport of netball. Norma is an iconic coach whose influence has spread far beyond the sport of netball. She is unflinchingly honest and passionate in her belief of treating all athletes fairly and equally. Her coaching career has spanned six decades and representative teams from four countries. And from this experience, she is able to distill deep truths on human effort and collaboration, which are still fresh and relevant today. We spoke while Norma was in lockdown 
in her home in Australia, and she was frustrated by this as she wanted to be courtside in New Zealand watching Jess Thrillby, the coach of the England team, who she mentors, take on the Silver Ferns. However, this trapped energy provided the impetus for a great conversation. And some of the key highlights for me were the importance of bringing your own personality and style as a coach, but also understanding the history of the team so that you can identify the right change that is needed and how this change might only just be one thing, but if it's the right thing, it can make a big difference. The importance of training under pressure so that it improves your decision-making in the game and the positive impact you can have on the team as a coach if you are able to manage your emotions. This was a great conversation with a master coach, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Norma Plummer, good morning, or rather, good afternoon to you over there in Australia, and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Norma, could we just start with something really simple? Where are you in the world today, and what have you been doing so far? Well, totally in lockdown because I'm in Victoria and I'm in Melbourne, suburb of Berwick in Melbourne, and yeah, totally bored. I think there's only so many things you can do around the house or projects you might think up for yourself. You just want to get out. It's a little bit depressing at the moment, but we live in hope. Norma, I'll do my best to alleviate your boredom with taking you on a journey back through your long and storied career over the next uh, hour or so. But it really is a career that has spanned the world. We'll talk about the many countries and, of course, the many great teams you've coached along the way. But could I start by just name-dropping a few of the great coaches that you've had experience with. There's uh, Jess Thrillby. We were just talking about her a minute ago, the coach of the English team. There's Eddie Jones, David Park, and, and of course, the iconic Joyce Brown. So from this experience, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently that sets them apart? I think for me, I think they bring change to a team. Most of all, I think you've got to bring your own personality and your coaching style and, and your philosophy. I think it's important that people get to know you as the person and I'd expect you to understand the logistics and the history of just what you're taking on and so that you can bring in change as it's needed. And I think that's what players want to have too, the excitement of something new, different approaches and to learn more and maybe because you only often need one thing to put into your game that can improve it. And I think that's really important. I did like what Eddie Jones was doing when he was he was coaching the Brumbies and I was at the AIS as head coach there at the time and I picked up the phone and this gentleman said, oh, is that Norma? And I said, yes. He said, oh, it's Eddie Jones here. And I paused for a moment because I thought, that's my strength and conditioning coach. He used to ring up and make out he was some, you know, famous person. And I said, cut it out, Trent. <laughs> and, of course, there was dead silence. And he, Eddie said, no, you are Norma Plummer, that David Parkin wrote up in his book. And I said, oh, yes, <laughs> feeling stupid then at that stage. But I found that he wanted to come over and talk to me about my philosophy of coaching. And he came in and we sat there and chatted. And But what I realised he was doing, he was going for the Australian job and he was going around the different coaches at the AIS, which I thought was really smart. So he's going into an interview where he was picking up a lot of different things he could use. As I said, you might only need one thing that you can put into your little group of coaching. Uh, for me, it was I spoke to me about having the options 
if your players are virtually running on same as, uh, you've got to be able to give them options that they can change up their game very quickly. So I did enjoy that interview with him. Norma, in 1977 and 1978, you were the captain coach of the Victorian State team that won consecutive national championships. And in 1996 and 2000, you were the head coach that won consecutive World Youth Cup titles. What do you remember about this? The bit about the playing coach was, again, I don't want to put my sport down, but really I went to the Melbourne Netball Club as a 14-year-old and played all my career there. But if you were named the captain of your team, we had a figurehead, Anne Henderson, who was head of the club but didn't sit on the sideline to coach you. You were put together and we had like seven teams. But she was able to pull in all of the Australian schoolgirls groups because she was a head of the Australian schoolgirls as well. So we used to get this cream coming into the club. So the club had this great competition within itself, but you were left to your own devices. So if you were picked as captain, you had to write out the score sheet and collect the money because we always had to pay and we played. And then quarter time, half time, there's no one there to give you like any coaching direction. So all of a sudden I'm looking at me because I'm the captain. But absolutely the best grounding I think I could have ever had. I not only learned about my own position, I was taking it in on everybody on the court. And so that's why in 1977 one of the board members came up and said to me, oh, look, Victoria haven't got a coach And that was the only time you got a coach was if you're in the Victorian team. So that's where I was under Joyce Brown. And so she said, look, we'd really like you to coach the team. And I said, oh, thought I was still good enough to play. And she said, well, you do playing coach. You have all along and you're winning. I think it's been the greatest grounding. I'm aware of other players on the court and what they're doing. I also, I read a lot of body language and I love, I can always start to um, identify when a player, what I call is they've stopped processing and I start running around like a chook with their head cut off or something. They're just not, they're losing it as far as uh, how to play up against their opponent. Now, you would bring that player off and you might be able to show them how to counteract what's happening to them and get them back out there and get somewhere, but some are too far gone. So you've got to know when to make your change. And I think that has helped me enormously over the years. Yeah, so in 2004, you were appointed as the Australian coach. And what's interesting is you go on to lose eight of your first 10 games against the big rival New Zealand. Now, I'm sure that must have given you a few moments to pause and perhaps question yourself and your approach, or or maybe not. But when it comes to helping others build self-belief, are there any techniques that you found to be better than others? I think, yeah, you've got to have self-belief in your own ability. I think it's very important. But if you'd understand that time, Australia had lost in the 2003 World Champs in Jamaica and New Zealand. I think was quoted by Jill McIntosh, who was the coach at the time, said, I think Australia, we were always there, but I think they'd started doing things better than we had. And they'd taken what we'd done and they were doing it maybe better. And they deserved that win, uh, there was, that was for sure. So when I took over, of course, there was about four retirements and then there was about three or four of them, that top grouping that got major injuries and all broke down, I think. As I said, I, the great part about it was because I'd been the Australian Institute of Sport and Australian Under-21 coach, I, when I started to filter those players in, 
they knew me, they understood what it was about. And yeah, it took, I think it's got eight, ten there, but up the Tom Com games, it was we'd only won two and they'd won six or something, and then after that, but then it sort of changed and I won seven and they only won two because the change came at the top in Nepal, Australia, and things settled down and I went on to win the World Cup and walked into that World Cup where it was in New Zealand, in Auckland. For some reason, I just felt we would not lose that game. And New Zealand used to set up the full court press and I did a lot of work on that, but I and I had to, you know, really, because you get a limited time really with the Australian team and also at that time, the Australian netball group had gone with the players' union and they all went on strike. So where I'd had four or five-day camps organised, they didn't turn up because this fight was going on about wanting to be paid and look, I was all for it. I think they were giving so much time and they needed to leave, taking their holidays or missing out on wages at work. So all of that was impacting too. So I only got one session with them before we went to New Zealand and, and lost three love in that first series. But, but as I say, gradually but surely, we were able to turn things around and with this zone that New Zealand put up, it was quite a pressure situation. But I'd worked out if we... We worked them one side and we did some dummy runs and drew them across the court. This channel would come down the other side and then we'd have someone just pop out, swing a long ball. Well, firstly, we had to learn to swing this long ball. I can remember Liz Ellis and I thought, God, it's going up to the sky and back. But they all finally got it because I also de- devised a school session of uh, and a drill that put that in there so that we constantly were learning to develop this pass. And it opened us up beautifully. And that's why I just felt so confident once they got hold of that and they knew on court. And plus the hardest thing when you're coaching players is for them to identify change on court. So when things, if they got started to get back on top, we had to have that other option. I can remember going out, what was it, one of the breaks and Natty Von Berto and Laura Von Berto, wing attack and centre, they were playing the overload and I said, oh, look, I think you're slightly overdosing it now. And Natty Von Berto said to me, but it's working, Norma. And I said, yeah, but the minute it doesn't, we need to split it and that channel will come down the middle. And so they're able to execute that whole game plan fantastic. And I think if you can show players the options of how to get out of situations, I think you have them for life as a player. Well, in 2007 and 2011, as you said, the team wins the Netball World Championship, but it wins the second one there in overtime in New Zealand again. What did this um, teach you, Norma, about performing under pressure? Well, the performing under pressure, we we would have to do all of that at training, of course. You have to have your, your players under pressure and building it up. And the thing is, when you do it in training, I used to say to them, it doesn't matter if you make the mistake. That's why we're doing it at training. So we learn how to handle that under the pressure. And, of course, you'd, they'd make a mistake. But once you really started to handle the pressure, you got better than um, decision-making on what you were going to do. And as I said, if we had more than one option, you needed at least maybe three leads coming but not all at once. They had to be split off. So you knew that you had an option and you could get out of that situation. So because in 2010 at 
Delhi, we lost to New Zealand in the longest game ever in the double overtime. And I'd lost a couple of defenders before them, Julie Coletto, because I'd lost Liz Allison, Gerard for the 2006 Commonwealth Games and such vital players. But we were just a bit short under in that Commonwealth Games in defence and I felt Maria Falau was killing us on the shot. We, like, played, she played unbelievable. She had the most outstanding game and, of course, we lost that. So if to win the World Cup, I had to figure out, right, we've got to be able to nail this. And I did a lot of work on that. But I found the secret of when she missed how we would defend that shot. I think she went from shooting 94% down to about 74%. It made a major difference for us to get over the line. And also they were a great team then. So we had to, one of the things was that selection for that Australian team. I'd lost, Sherelle McMahon went down Achilles, so we'd lost virtually our vice-captain and probably the best athletic player you'd ever see. And next minute then I lose my wing attack, Lauren Nurse did her knee. So it got to selection at the AIS at the camp and basically Clark Perry, he used to be the sports psychologist with Australian Swimming. He's now back in Canada. He's a Canadian. But he was working at the AIS. And I asked him to come down and just be around for any of the girls if they wanted to have a chat. But he's looked at me and he said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I said, oh, well, yeah, I said, I've got to select this team, Clark. And I said, I've, I've got an idea in my head. I, I think I know what I want, but I'm not sure I'll get buy-in from the players. And he said, well, why don't you ask them? I thought this is a great lesson. He said, you've got a leadership group. And I said, Jerry, he said, well, bring them in. And I said, but it's a selection. He said, well, you, are you not going to select them? And I said, no, you're right. They will be in the team. So I did. I brought them in and I'd spoken to my two selectors and I said, right, I have, I have this vision that I said if I bring in a change and we're sort of maybe a bit down across wing attack and, and goal attack, which is where we'd lost the two players. So if I bring in Chelsea Pittman, she can cover both. And if I bring in Erin Bell, she can cover both. And all of a sudden there was, wow, the three players said, I'm in on that. And Gerard said, I'd play with Pittman any day. So all of a sudden I got buy-in. And what a Clark had said to me, it's the believability. You see companies, and I worked for Adidas for 13 years, loved it. They're great. But they often used to have where had a big conference and they had this vision of where they were going to go. And But sometimes it just didn't gel for a few of us. So you see, if you don't get buy-in, uh, from your workers or from your team to understand. You've got to have that believability about what you're doing. And if they don't believe, you don't get the same thing. You know, you don't get the, the end result you're looking for. But I felt I got the end result on this because it was fantastic. It turned out uh, really good. And I remember Pittman played a great game on wing attack for us and was very pleased about that. We also got onto that shot onto Maria and that also helped us. <laughs> it did indeed. Norma, in researching for today, I read a lot about you and you often talk about, and you give this advice to a lot of people actually, the need to control your emotions as the coach so that you can communicate clearly with the team and help them recover after a loss. 
Are there any top tips you've got on controlling your emotions? (laughs) Well, one was that Catherine Cox, who was in the team, came up to me one day and just said, when you're sitting there and you're not carrying on or screaming or yelling, she said it it makes us feel so much more aware that we're, we're doing the job. I think that one hit me because I hadn't actually thought about it before. So New Zealand used to say I never smiled. But, you know, when you're coaching, even if you're winning, I don't have to sit there with a grin on my face. I'm concentrating on the game. If you're losing, why would I get a grin? big grin on my face. It's like it was about trying to keep the persona together and so that that wasn't rubbing off on the players. Panic can come in at any time. And as I say, a lot of players, when they go into that panic mode, you sometimes don't get them back. So you've got to be very careful of how you're presenting yourself. And I think when you lose, you know that they've all done their best and it's no use starting to berate it. But I often didn't go into the big talk after the game, I would often leave it a day or so and then we'd sit down when everybody's emotions had dropped and then we'd sit and talk about it. You could do it rationally and people could have a look at maybe where where we were not hitting the mark or whatever but and not decisive enough. So I think that that gives for a better conversation, sometimes emotion straight after, unless it's a, a massive win. Of course, you care. You just want to have a champagne and enjoy it. <laughs> Former the, yeah. the uh, independent newspaper in England once labelled you one of the nastiest coaches in sport, but the article also listed you alongside Sir Alex Ferguson with that assessment. There was a few others in there too, which doesn't make for yeah. bad company. Well, I don't mind being uh, listed with uh, Sir Alex, but... Oh, no, no I imagine you wouldn't. One reporter. In all of the interviews, she really did my nose with some of the smart comments she was making, and I had a crack back, I think, and, uh, oh, she thought I was then, you know, very nasty, but I thought she was out of order, so I'm not backward and coming forward if I think someone's actually stepping over the line and I'm trying to put a few of the boots in here and there. So, yeah, so she just got one back. But, of course, she had the upper hand of writing it up, never had it written up again. And, of course, New Zealand, I did have a, a couple of sessions on from the media, but they soon learned that it was a sense of humour and I think I'm well welcomed over there now. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Well, what I wanted to do actually is link this comment about you being nasty with your own coaching style, which you have described as being authoritarian. And what I wanted to ask you is, do you think this style of coaching still has a place in high-performance sport? I think that's, there's different levels of that. I'm not there screaming and yelling and everything. But what I want players to understand is if you put a, put a lot of time in on, you know, how you're going to beat your opposition, you want to be able to get them to, to carry that out. In the end, I don't have 
favourites as such. Every team I've ever coached, I said to them that this is performance-based. I make no bones about that. And I've taken off captains. I've taken off vice-captains. That doesn't worry me. You never labour the team for keeping a captain on who's having a bad day or a player of any description, no matter who they are in that team. And if you've worked your bench well, you need to use that player. Players start to understand and it's really fair and equal and it is performance-based. So if that's authoritarian, I mean, seriously, I, I just think there's been a lot said about I'll let the players play. Well, I've seen a bit of that and I've seen a lot of bad losses with it. If you've got a, a senior group that you've had for five, six years and they virtually know exactly how we're all ticking, yeah, you can let them go out and do that. And they might just need one or two little corrections here and there. But if you've got some younger players in the team who don't actually understand their role, I think you're going to get egg on your face. You really need to let them know how they fit in. And one of the best questions you can ever ask a player at a, a selection when you interview them on individuality, like who, what they bring into them, you say to them, so where do you think you sit in the pecking order in this team? And you'd be amazed at how many of them just don't actually rate themselves. So you've, you've got then the odd ones, like a, a Liz Alice is going to tell you, well, I'm captain but you're going to get a, a younger player who's going to turn around and say oh I'm just hoping I get a game they don't actually challenge so you want to teach them to learn to challenge those situations don't look at the senior players that they're going to be the ones so I think you it depends on how you you look at coaching styles mine is very much giving the player every bit of my total knowledge that I have and trying to make them better as a player. And as I say, when you get for that comment that I was the nasty coach, well, you don't get emails or text messages. And I got one the other day from one of your Gerard because she's been overseas and I heard her mum wasn't well. So I just text to see how she'd go. And at the end, she said, you know, I miss your face plum. So there you go. It's, I think some people could look at it that way. Because when you're standing on the floor and you're coaching, and the music's going, and it's full blur, and you look like you're screaming, well, you are, because you're trying to get a message over. And it might look like, but it's, it's actually just trying to get your message across. Overall, the noise of the crowd, you know, you got 15, 20,000 people, they're all screaming, the music's going, and it's only half time that and in the latter part of the years, we actually got to go into the back rooms because we got 12 minutes instead of five. So we could go in and I could actually talk to the team. So has affected my voice over the years, I might add. I'm pretty raspy on it now. So, so you know, yeah, I'm not sure I agree with the comment, but I certainly know that I am direct and I know that basically I always say it's performance-based. We owe the team more than the individual because that's the job to win. And don't ever let anyone say it's uh, it's not. <laughs> I see a lot of coaches get the sack when they don't win. <laughs> Norma, I have a great quote from you actually talking about winning. You say, it's great to have a win for sure, but the scoreboard is incidental. Now, for many of us, the scoreboard is very hard to look past in life, whether it's the scoreboard or the balance sheet or the month-end report. Can you share with us a time you were able to improve a team by using this philosophy? Yeah, because when you're coaching, and it was, as I said, the Australian under 21, went to the AIS in 99 and uh, we weren't 
in the National League and the new Commonwealth Bank Trophy competition had started. And I was fighting with the CEO, Pam Smith, who's a very good friend, that I wanted the team in the National League. They weren't happy they weren't going to put us in. We were a development program, and yes, we were. But in the end, after a couple of years, we finally got in. And, of course, everybody said, oh, they'll be finished down the bottom, they they won't make it. And, well, I had news for them. So you get uh, all these young players in, and, of course, I can remember the first game at the Australian Institute of Sport in the stadium that... And we lose by 20 goals to New South Wales Swifts. So I said to the players afterwards, so it's taking us like 15, 16 passes to get the ball from the baseline back down to our shooters. It's taking them seven. And that's because they understand the game better and their timing of moves and how to work space. I said, but that's what we're here to work on now. Second round in their hometown in Sydney, we beat them and virtually those kids stood up like you wouldn't believe, played a game plan, sensational. So, no, the scoreboard sometimes does not mean much. If you're coaching those players, it's the improvement you can get out of them and I loved every every minute of it. So, yeah, there's your whens and when nots and when you've got a development program, you've got to sometimes keep changing that team up so they all learn to handle the pressure. And I'm not looking at the scoreboard then, but this program has developed so much for Australian netball. I was delighted to see them. And we not only beat them, we also got sandpipers. We also got firebirds. So I think we finished fifth and they all thought we'd finished eighth but we didn't. So there you go. I think things can be done. Young play, never underestimate the exuberance of youth. It's fantastic. Let's talk about exuberance of youth because you go off to South Africa in 2015 and you take the job as the head coach of that team and you end up taking them from eighth in the world to fourth, which is a great achievement. And when you took over a coach, I imagine there would have been a set of perhaps diversity and inclusion issues that you hadn't felt or dealt with before as a coach. I wanted to ask you about that. And if, if it was true, how did you deal with it? And is there any learning for the rest of us from that experience? Well, originally, you see, I'd gone over, I'd been invited over. Well, the CEO had been chasing me since I'd won the world champs in 2011 in Singapore. But then I said no, because I was going to Perth to set up their program for West Coast Fever. But after that three years, she was still ringing me to go over. And she said, would you come in and come to the camp? So that was in the February of uh, 2015. And I said, oh, yeah, I could do that. I went across and um, basically well, I think I had about 30 players and I ran a two-week clinic with them alongside their coaches. One thing I found straight away is they would have, in the first week, I virtually absorbed it and took in what they were doing. The next two weeks they asked me if I would run it and I said, well, the first thing we're not going to do, we're not going to be three hours. So they'd have the players there for three hours and They'd do a bit of work and then they'd be sitting down and it might have been six, seven minutes before they got back out on court again. So I said, well, look, we're going to cut this down. We're not doing three hours. I said, we can do this in two and a half and the first 15 will be warm-up and the last 15 will be recovery, but the two hours in between we're going to be working. And so 
you realise that they were a little bit behind what was actually happening. They weren't building up any stamina with the players. So I left after that, but then got the phone call for some weeks. I think they'd gone off and played a European Cup and they lost to England by about 36 goals. And I then got the phone call, would I come back and take them to the world champs in Sydney? And so I said yes, but I said, look, I'll do that on one proviso. I can have my own assistant coach because this will be a big job and I won't have time to be coaching the coaches. I need someone that can tick with me and we can move this along. So that's when I rang Nicole Cusack and she came in with me as shooting specialist. And when I went then, I had, I think just before we left, we had three three games, one against um, Malawi and uh, Nibia. And so while we were, I was running the camp before we actually played, I noticed when I walked over to all the players that the black players were here and the white players were off to the right. So I walked over and I said, so what's this? I said, I'm sorry, ladies, but there's got to be inclusion here and we're all in together. So I made them all move in together. So you've got to remember you're working with a different culture, but they had to realise that, I go in and you're an athlete. I'm just looking at you as an athlete. And so there was a lot of things like that I had to be aware of, but I also needed to show them that it was, as I say, fair and equal and performance-based. So we get our first game and the captain is a goal attack and she was playing terrible. So I took her off. And the assistant coach was a South African sitting me. She said, you've taken the captain off, captain off. And I said, yes, she's not playing well. I don't know what's going on, but we're not going to lose this game because someone isn't performing. So I changed it. So I found out after the game that she actually had been sick, but no one told me, you see. And I said, well, that's the first lesson. You don't hide those things from coach. And I said to the player, who turned out to be fantastic and with me all the way through Liverpool, look, you need to say things if you're sick. I said, that goes against your performance. And I said, I'll be playing you tomorrow if you can tell me you're okay. And she was. I think she might have got a bit of a tummy bug and she was just sick at that time. So they all were in shock, especially the black players that I'd taken off the captain. But then once they all started to understand about the fair and equal, nobody cared if you were taken off, they knew it was performance. It just stops a lot of anxiety within the team and I just love their ability. They were athletic. They just needed some know-how. And we won those three games before we went to New Zealand for a pre-game there before we went into the Worlds. But I said to the CEO and the president at the time, this is about your team. You've been being beaten by Australia, England, New Zealand, anywhere between 55 and 35 goals over all these years. We've got to bring that scoreline down. And it's not going to happen immediately, but it will. I think we can get them there. And gradually but surely, we started dropping those scorelines because we I got South Africa to put us into a the quad series, so they were constantly coming up against Australia, England, New Zealand, and they were then learning about the intensity and the pressure and how much fitter they had to be. And why we were doing that was because if we wanted to compete, if you want to be there, this is what it's going to take. And South Africa embraced all of it. In fact, one of the players said to us one time, boy, I wish I knew this 10 years ago. Norma, in this interview, there's been multiple times where you've Describe yourself as forthright and you talk about this tough love approach. 
Is there a person or event in your life that helped you shape that philosophy? Well, I was coached, as I said, by Joyce, Joyce Brown. Joyce was pretty ruthless at times. But I tell you what, you do learn off someone like that as well and other coaches what not to do. I saw a lot of things that I didn't like and so I always promised myself that if I was coaching, I'd coach the 12 players I had, not the seven that were the, you thought were going to be best on the court because if you didn't have your backup of your bench, you were going to be in trouble. The way netball was going and where we were going forward and all the everything the players were playing, but we may, had to make everything fresh. We had to have new new style drills. We had to have them but under pressure drills and we need to keep it fresh all the time. So though, even warm-ups because they're, when they're doing it all the time, you can be same as and you don't want that. You want them to really embrace what's going on and that they're learning something different, something new. And that's challenging for you when there's certain things in the game you, you have to keep doing repetition on but as much as you can we like to change it up so what they were doing at club would be different if they were in the Australian team or different if they were in the South African Proteus so that's probably one of the areas that we worked hard on as well but Norma if I could if I had a time machine and I could take you back to that 14 year old who was invited by Anne Henderson down to the Melbourne the Melbourne netball club what advice would you give her keep doing what you did because that playing coaching role, I think, gave me more insight to coaching by learning on the court probably I ever learned of any other coach. In fact, in those days, you'd go up for selection maybe for the Victorian team or the Australian team when you were younger and uh, they'd name the team and they'd say, thanks for coming, see you later. You never got feedback. Never, ever. I think I had one coach at one time gave me a bit of feedback before one game. That was it. So, yeah, things changed a lot. But I learned, I guess, coming through the ranks of, and the hard yards of understanding. My whole coaching is around the game. I'm really not that much into the, the fringe bit. I'm very happy to have everything for the players, but my concentration is always what I can do to beat the opposition, break them down, have that team ready with options to be able to walk out on court and know they can take on anything at any time. And so nothing would change for me, I don't think, there. And Norma, perhaps just one last question. What's the legacy that you hope you've left as a coach? As far as I think the legacy I would be leaving, I would hope that, um, that I have taught a lot of players how to think a little bit differently. And certainly when I walked away, I handed over 12 world championship players to Alexander and I felt I just wanted to leave the sport in the best possible position I could. And I think at least that was something I achieved. Norma, it's been such a privilege to spend an hour with you today. Thank you so much for your time. I've loved hearing your stories Um, and I think that there's a great place in the world for your philosophy about tough love. Um, And I hope that more coaches hear this and embrace that philosophy as well. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here, and you have been listening to the great coach, Norma Plummer. Some of the key highlights for me were the importance of including leadership groups in team decisions, her coaching philosophy, which she summarises as performance-based, and means that all players are treated fairly and equally, and how she uses this to communicate with both the senior 
and new members of the team, and her story of coaching South Africa and how she helped to integrate the black and white players. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And just before we go, if you are one of the people who has listened to our podcast in the 50,000 times it has been played, and you have any feedback, an element of leadership you would like us to explore, or know a great coach that you think we should interview, then please let us know. You can contact us using the details in the show notes.